you pray for your meal and then you're like, oh man, I wish I was having peanut butter and jelly. How many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches did I eat when I was a kid? Man, when I was a kid, I used to go down water slides all the time. I've been <laughs> swimming in a long time. Why wow. don't I go swimming? Gosh, what about chlorine? Should I have a chlorine pool or a saltwater pool? How would I even get a pool? Maybe I should get a new, <laughs> and it's just like, it flies, man, all the time. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. <laughs> and today we continue our journey through the head triad and we are coming to style number seven, commonly known as the enthusiast. I have my arms way up in the air. You're just like at full volume. Never seen Jesse this excited before. Because it's the seven, it's the, man. I it's know. awesome. I love these people. These folks are like totally the party planning committee. You know, when I think of the resourceful seven, basically like every vacation that I ever take with my son, yeah. <laughs> because my son has got like a ton of seven. So like we go on vacation and he's like, daddy, can we do all the things? You know, mm-hmm. so this last one was like, daddy, can we go parasailing? Daddy, can we go dolphin watching? Daddy, can we dig the biggest hole possible and bury ourselves? And like, <laughs> he just wants to do all the it's things. Like every, and, the world is his playground. Dude, absolutely. Like, like the world is just an amazing, incredible, mysterious place. And we need to go discover like all of it. Yeah. Uh, I just think about the fact that like our vacations are significantly better since he came along because, you know, I would just like lay in bed and watch, you know, reruns on television, you know, and instead he's like, Daddy, there's an entire world for us to go experience. That's awesome. Get off your butt. Let's go yeah. do it. And so uh, at 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. No, this morning he totally woke me up. Why? He got a new video game yesterday. And so he woke himself up extra early so he could go and play the game, oh you know, to, to try things out. So um, so all that to say is that when I think of resourceful sevens, I just think of folks that just they bring so much enthusiasm into their world and excitement and energy. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the nicknames for these folks. So uh, commonly, these folks are referred to as the joyful person. What are some? Uh, what are some of the other nicknames? Yeah, the enthusiast, the multitasker, the connoisseur, the energizer, and the generalist. Yeah, the energizer. That that feels, feels true. Absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like their batteries just don't end. They just kind of go on forever. Yeah, these folks just have so much energy. So let's talk about the resourceful traits of the seven. So when these folks are healthy and when they're resourceful, uh, these folks are really, really funny. They're kind of natural entertainers. You know, when you're hanging out with these folks, they love goofing off. They love saying silly things. They mm-hmm. love making awkward jokes, you know, that make everybody else feel a little more relaxed. Uh, they're really playful. They have really robust imaginations. A lot of times sevens, one of the most common things that I hear a seven say is they'll say, 
what if, and then they'll finish it with some kind of crazy statement, you know, because their imaginations are just so incredible. That's so funny. I was about to say, like, I feel like my friends that are sevens always have a funny video to show me and always are like, hey, wouldn't it be crazy if we like went and like did this thing? And we're like, yes, it would be crazy, but not in the same way that you're thinking that it it would be crazy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. My son will say like, wouldn't it be crazy if we got on a roller coaster and then suddenly the track fell off and the roller coaster went off, but then it landed on another roller coaster. So it was double roller coaster. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, and your that, wife is like, no, it will not be awesome. Yeah, exactly. So many things could yeah, possibly go wrong. Yeah, my poor six wife. Yeah. yeah. Uh, these folks, they even when they're healthy, they need change and stimulation. These folks don't tend to enjoy jobs or scenarios in which it's a strict routine day in and day out. They like newness. They like change. They typically are adrenaline seekers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they enjoy things that are high activity. These folks radiate optimism, so the glass is uh, is half full. They see possibilities in the world and in life. They tend to be lighthearted, so they tend to be just kind of fun and jovial and mm-hmm. just kind of light on their feet. They're really curious people. They're highly enthusiastic. And the other thing, too, that's kind of curious about these folks is that they're also not afraid to be alone. They carry this, this sense of they love it when other people join them in their adventures, but they also have the ability to kind of be independent. Yeah, they're and surprisingly pragmatic, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, the seven when they are resourceful, when they're healthy. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when they are not so healthy. Yeah, so their non-resourceful tendencies can kind of kick in whenever they start to use humor and jokes to distract themselves. And so they've learned, hey, I can just be the funny guy. I can be the guy that says, you know, the offhanded remark in the back of the class, and that's going to get the, the laugh. And so that becomes a coping mechanism and they instead of using humor in the right time and place they just use it to like bury their emotions and and be the funny guy and so yeah this is usually the part in the workshop where you know if i've got enough non-resourceful seven stuff in the room all of them start making jokes as soon as we get to their number and then we start to especially get to the dark side of their number i mean we've had sevens that like cannot stop themselves from making jokes and it's completely what you've just said (laughs) Yeah, so they become so they avoid anxiety and pain at any cost. They become pretty spacey and scattered so that thing that they always need to be stimulated, it just becomes kind of unhinged and they just they go go go. They're always looking at the next thing, the what if this, what if this? I need to kind of stockpile all, all of these fun opportunities and adventures to avoid the thing that I'm actually afraid of. And so they become unreliable, irresponsible, they overcommit themselves and actually bail out. You know, they're always kind of waiting to hear like what the most fun thing is that's going to come down the calendar before they commit to anything. So they're they're pretty hard to get down to fear of long-term commitment is especially challenging for sevens because that seems to hinder them in some way that that creates uh, stability and structure but that to them feels binding and suffocating almost and so they actually become pretty narcissistic it's really hard to feel connected to a non-resourceful seven because they're always just thinking about well i need to get back to the next thing and you're you know if you're providing enough fun for me that's one thing but if you're boring me then i need to go and that becomes kind of self-serving yeah it can be real challenging sometimes if folks have enough non-resourceful seven where friends and loved ones that are around this person feel like you know, becomes our duty to entertain them, you know, Mm, where, you know, if I don't keep you interested enough or I don't provide a thrilling enough experience that, you know, and somehow um, there's that sense that your friendship or your love is like is for sale. And if I don't entertain you enough, somebody else will buy it. And I'm not they're always like kind of bidding. Like it seems like they're always just like taking in all these bids of like, well, what can offer me the best thing? And yeah. And if you're on the, the negative end of that, that can really be damaging as a friend. So all of this, you know, uh, 
it should be said that of all of the personality styles on the Enneagram, the seven is the most susceptible to addiction. Right. Um, and that, you know, when we're looking at people's scores, there's actually even a number within those scores that we begin to look at. Um, and if we see it, um, oftentimes it will point us towards the high probability that this person either already has an addiction or that that they're on the cusp of cultivating an addiction. And so we we tell these folks, you know, that you, you've got to really be honest about the fact that, you know, one of our jokes for sevens is we say, like, for a seven, too much of a good thing is almost enough. And uh, and <laughs> so, so funny. Yeah. And so for uh, so for folks with that, you know, non-resourceful seven stuff going on, um, you just got to be aware that, that there's a there's a real dark side to uh, to always wanting to have fun and a good time. OK, let's talk a little bit about the wake up call for the seven. Uh, Wake-up calls, of course, are that moment in which we are beginning to make decisions from a place of automation, reactivity. We're not being thoughtful. We're just kind of shooting from our guts and our instincts. And uh, it's an invitation to turn around because you're, you're starting to make decisions from a place that is not from a healthy place, but from an unhealthy place. And for the seven, the wake-up call for the seven is when you begin to feel that something better is available somewhere else. So that means that you could be having a great experience, a quality experience. It's not probably a perfect experience, but it's a good experience. But you can't shake the feeling that something better is available somewhere else. You will begin to make self-sabotaging choices and begin to do things that will begin to undermine your life and harm the relationships around you. So, sevens, if you begin to feel that something better is available somewhere else, get counsel from your closest friends. Ask them, do you think that this instinct and this this uh, this gut feeling I've got, is it true? Or is this just my seven stuff misleading me? But go get counsel from others. Don't make independent decisions uh, because there's a very good chance that that is more of your wandering spirit as opposed to the Holy Spirit. So the struggle for folks in the head triad is the struggle of exaggerated fear. And eventually this fear comes into the life of a seven and it gives birth to the deadly sin of gluttony. And the way that a seven cultivates this deadly sin of gluttony is by demanding variety and options. So a few choices is not enough. Having just a bunch of short-term commitments is not enough. I want as many possible options as possible so that I can choose the very best, most entertaining right. option. Yeah, all the head triad is this idea of more. So fives need more information. Six need more contingency. Seven just need more stimulation. Yeah, stimulation and fun. Uh, and they cultivate this deadly set of gluttony by always seeking out new experiences experiences. So they move on quickly from current commitments. They will abandon uh, commitments that they've previously made because they're always seeking out new things. The idea that a better, more enjoyable, more fun life is out there somewhere if I can just go get to it. They cultivate this deadly sin of gluttony through FOMO. I mean, just the fear of missing out. Yeah. And uh, so they're seeing, I mean, good grief, like social media was made to activate this oh stuff. Oh my gosh, you know, it's so true. Sevens can be like seven. exhausted. They can be working all day, 
you know, going to something after work and then see their friends post something. They're like, I have to go. I have to, I want to go to that. And like, yeah. but if you're with them earlier, they're like, man, I'm so tired. I need to go home. But like, they see something like, oh, I should, I need to go to there. Yeah, it's like, no, yeah. like you need to get some sleep. Yeah, like, it's yeah, so totally, funny. Like, totally. Like sevens need friends that can like say like, bro, like you're tired. Like mm-hmm. you need to go lay down, you mm-hmm. know? And then finally they, they uh, cultivate this deadly sin of gluttony just by avoiding pain. So something painful arises in their life. And instead of grieving that pain, talking about that pain, opening up about that pain, acknowledging that pain, pain. feeling the pain, uh, they tend to want to avoid it altogether. And not just something painful that happened, but even just difficult experiences, Mm -hmm. pain in general, when things are hard, instead of stepping up and into those hard things, they, they tend to want to avoid them. So they tend to struggle as seeing hard and painful things as virtuous or helpful in any way. Okay, so that that's the deadly sin of the seven. So, Sam, tell me a little bit about how the seven defends themselves. Yeah, so whenever they're experiencing that fear, they do what's called sublimation, where they put their pain out of awareness. And so it's like what you were talking about. Instead of feeling the pain and acknowledging it and actually sitting in it, they just bury it. They stuff it away. They fill their, their calendar, their schedules. And I think for sevens, it's hard because even if you get them to sit down and like talk about the thing that they're uh, avoiding – that feels like they've done the work. It feels like, okay, I've talked about it. I said it out loud. That's healed. Like, no, that's like yeah. step one. Like you actually have to like sit with the pain more than once. I think for sevens, when they start to wake up to this stuff, it's like, oh, I did it. I like, I said the thing that made me afraid or made me upset or sad. Yeah. There's a temptation to want to move through the pain way too fast. Yeah, they and, don't allow and to enough say time like, to oh, grieve. I learned my lesson from that pain when the truth is, hey, that wasn't a one day painful experience. Yeah. This is going to be a few years or a few months. Like you've got to sit in this. Yeah. So whenever I was teaching a workshop, I had a lot of sevens in the room and I actually gave them a, a picture about the resurrection. You know, like when the whenever Jesus was his spending his last days on earth, there was Good Friday. That was his death. And then there was an entire day of silence before the resurrection, that Saturday. Sevens need to sit in the Saturday. They jump too much to the resurrection whenever they have to, but they really need to feel the pain and feel the unknown of like, what's going to happen next? I don't see the other side of this before to actually be healed. They, they jumped to Sunday way too fast. Yeah, man, that that's beautiful. Yeah, so, so it is. It's about sublimation. So that means that anything or anyone painful is put out of awareness. So they tend to want out of to sight, avoid. Out of mind. Yeah, they like tend to want to avoid relationships. Easy living. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's totally, a, a, it's an affront to, to what's actually going on. So the idol that the seven is tempted to worship is the idol of pleasure. But idols require sacrifices. And the idol of pleasure requires sacrificing inner peace because peace carries with it the idea of feeling deeply satisfied. But pleasure is the idea of if I could just have a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. It almost means like saying no to something like that's like really hard for sevens to do. Yeah, it is hard because inner peace carries the idea of contentment. I'm okay with where I am. I'm okay with what I do have and I'm okay with what I don't have. Um, But pleasure will not allow for that kind of posture. And, you know, it requires sacrificing genuine fulfillment. And it also requires sacrificing depth in relationships because depth means that people exchange their pain back and forth. It means that they talk about hard and difficult things. It means that they are curious about both the good and the bad that are going on inside of another person and that they're realistic and sober about that too. Like the just the, the real challenges that real relationships face. So um, so God knows the exaggerated fear that, that folks in the head triad have. 
He knows what sevens are struggling with. He knows that their temptation is toward uh, gluttony and towards uh, worshiping the idol of pleasure. What is the uh, the virtue of transformation that he brings to them? So he brings his presence mm-hmm. to them, yeah. and then he invites them to what virtue? Yeah, so for the seven, it's the idea of becoming more sober-minded. You know, a lot of personality types need to wake up and get energized, but not the seven. The seven needs to kind of um, to sink in and to achieve a true commitment, a true abiding joy that's not contingent upon circumstances, but is found in Christ, that unshakable faith, the sober-mindedness that will allow them to engage the dark parts of their heart and to sit with them and to open up and to recognize, hey, the people around me, they can probably handle some of these things. I don't have to be the funny guy all the time. I don't have to be the friend that just comes over when things are great. Like, I need to probably journey with with these people through the trenches that we're all experiencing. And it's so, yeah, for the seven, it's just this sober mindedness, this waking up to the negative and owning it and being OK with it. Yeah, it's moving from a place of, uh, you know, a lot of times sevens may feel like they're experiencing true joy but for some sevens, I think that more so what is honest is to say that they're they're enjoying a joy of avoidance. Mm. But this is more so an invitation towards a joy of substance. Um, so it's not just, you know, a life that's just full of only good things and ignoring or pretending that the bad things aren't there, but a life that is full and robust and beautiful, but it's a mixture of the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, and getting to a place where they're really able to enjoy this moment wholeheartedly and not always be addicted to looking to the next big exciting thing but enjoying the gift of this present moment. I think of uh, like a a metaphor that just came to me when you were talking about the joy of avoidance versus joy of substance. I just think about a person that eats nothing but fast food versus somebody who prepares a feast. You know, I think that there's a tendency for us to just cling to that, like that quick and easy fulfilling thing, but actually being satisfied with sustaining food, that's going to require effort. That's going to require different ingredients. That's going to require some time. But the payoff is going to be so much greater in the long run. But with a full feast around you with a big table, that's going to be much more satisfying than a drive through, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that analogy. Okay, so when we come back, we'll be talking to a seven who's here with us in the studio today, Jonah Sage. Stay with us. Hey, Sam, do you remember how we first met? Uh, yeah, you came to my college campus on Halloween night. That was the weirdest experience. I remember watching a bunch of people like arms raised in worship, but they were like dressed as like Batman. Yeah, yeah, Superman. I was dressed as Lois Lane, so I had a Superman with me. Unto the Lord. <laughs> well, okay, so I came to the school because I was recruiting people for Love Thy Neighborhood, and you showed up. Yeah, and it worked. So I came the summer after I graduated, served for that summer, loved it so much, decided to stay on for the year. And that year completely changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're between the ages of 18 and 30 and you're just trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do with the next summer or the next year of my life? Come, be a part of Love Thy Neighborhood. We have 18 different internship tracks that you can choose from. Yeah, this is a great opportunity to grow in your relational skills, your professional skills, but also just an opportunity for you to grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord and His people. So if you want to apply to be a part of this program, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org. While you're there, you can check out all of the different causes that we offer. Choose the ones that you are most passionate about, and then we will pair you up with an organization where you can make a real difference in real people's lives. You can serve with us for either a summer or a year. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today.
Welcome back to the IndieCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Jonah Sage. Jonah is the pastor of Sojourn Church New Albany in southern Indiana. I once heard someone describe Jonah as the most gifted speaker for his age that they had ever heard. And uh, conveniently, Jonah is actually also trained in the Enneagram. Yeah, and Jonah is a friend of Loveland Neighborhood. He was one of our featured storytellers for our LTN Podcast Live event that we had just a few months back. He also recently spoke at one of our corporate gatherings that our summer interns just attended where he gave them a really good picture of the gospel and just kind of laid everything out for them. So we are we constantly hear positive feedback from from Jonah and just his preaching and teaching and just the uh, the ease that he presents um, really pointed messages with. So we're, we're excited to have him on today. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. Good to be here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, um, yeah, it killed you to have to sit there quietly while we said all that stuff on the first. Yeah, especially when you told me I couldn't even move in my chair because of the squeaks. <laughs> yeah. Sitting still for 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Ooh, I'm so me. sorry. You did great, though. Thanks, buddy. Uh, hey, so you just heard our overview of the Type 7. So what, what resonated with you? <laughs> you guys spent a lot of time talking about how messed up we are. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. It was sorry. uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say it, it was pretty true. All in all. <laughs> Anything in particular that jumped out at you? Yeah. I mean, sevens, you know, people like having them around most of the time. And if you're around a seven, you're probably not far from something fun or something happy. But then it becomes quite painful when you can see the uh, the collateral damage you create, the scatteredness and the anxiety that you can breed in the people around you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, hearing... Some of the more, I don't know if you'd call it clinical, but, you know, the kind of black and white descriptors and then all of the stories that come to mind of how something good goes bad. And even I was confused about sublimation for a long time. What is that? What does that mean? And, you know, I had a friend one time tell me, he's like, man, it's just lipstick in the pig. And I was like, what? (laughs) He's like, yeah, you just put lipstick on pigs, man. And looking back through my life of all the ways that you know, just being so quick to spin something or your your dog gets run over and the body's still warm and you're like, hey, we get to get a new puppy now. Or, you know, you just oh, spin stuff gosh. right away. Yeah, yeah. And so it's on the one hand, it's like, oh, interesting, insightful. This is helpful. And on at the same time, it's really painful. It's uncomfortable. You know, it's interesting that you talked about, you know, gosh, you guys spend a lot of time on the on the negative portion. So I, I taught a workshop not too long ago. And I did receive feedback from only one person. Uh, and, and the person said, I was really frustrated with how negative you were. And of course they were. Yeah, a probably seven. seven. Yeah, they were a seven. They were, it, it, it really bothered them yeah. that not only did I say negative things about the seven, but now they had awareness of negative things about other people. Yeah. Why are you bringing these things out? Yeah. I would say sevens, Sam said it a little bit, but sevens and threes tend to, tend to gravitate most towards some uh, good old-fashioned narcissism. And, you know, sevens, I think both literally, sevens the kind of person that will walk in the door. You never have to wonder when the seven arrives because they'll be loud or they'll do something to make sure everybody's looking at them. And they tend to think every conversation is about themselves uh, or whatever you guys are doing somehow. It, it will involve them at some point. It involves They're, me yeah, at they, some point. They're yeah. constantly asking. I'm constantly asking some version of where do I stand with you? What are you thinking about me? And so they, they tend to see all roads leading back to them, especially when they get real unhealthy. So it wouldn't surprise me when sevens say things like, well, you said so much more about what's wrong with the sevens. It's like, no, I didn't. You're just a <laughs> little baby narcissist over there. Oh, man. You know what I mean? And, and I would say of all of the styles, sevens are by far the most averse to pain. And running out of ice cream feels like pain. 
for a seven. You know, it's not like it's got to be physical pain, but sitting in silence or saying a joke and people don't laugh as much as you think they should. And all of a sudden you're, you're totally spun out about everybody hates me and they think I'm an idiot and no one wishes I was here and I better do something else crazy. And mm. so, yeah, I mean, the, the That's amount, a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. It's exhausting. Well, sevens are the, the joyful type and they carry with them, you know, the, the joy and the newness of God, this idea that, that God is always doing new things. And it sort of reminds us of like the childlike wonder of what it means to be alive in this amazing world that God created. How do sevens lean into this gift of joy and celebration? Yeah, I think if they can develop the discipline of paying attention, the world becomes filled with wonder. My son and I, my son's four years old, and we'll play a game we call the pay attention game. And we'll sit somewhere outside and we'll say, what's something wonderful that you see? Wow. And, you know, we'll, he'll look up and be like, daddy, look at that, how that bird sits on that little tiny wire. How does he do that? And I'll be like, isn't it amazing? Or how cool. Uh, you know, having a little glass of orange juice and be like, do you know who invented orange juice? And be like, who, daddy? And be like, God invented orange juice. And be like, he gave us orange juice. <laughs> you know, so I think if sevens can, can resist the temptation towards grandiosity and see the incredible wonder that's just revealed and is constantly unfolding in, in the day-to-day -day goodness of normal life, uh, the presence of God becomes so much less abstract. And I think sevens are uniquely gifted to see what is amazing in the world the curiosity that's there. You know, on the shadow side, a dead giveaway for a seven is just look at their bookshelf and you'll see the highlight stopper on page 20 because the book got a little boring and they decided to move on. So there's totally, <laughs> you know, that the scattered. <laughs> it's a dead giveaway, man. Or you ask them, you know, they'll be able to give you a thousand foot overview of some, oh yeah, I know what Carl Jung says. And then you ask them something specific about it and they'll find a way to talk about something else because they don't know. You know what I mean? They, they know enough to be dangerous. So there's that, there's certainly the shadow side of getting scattered and curiosity run away, but they also tend to notice what's good and true and beautiful in the world in ways that maybe other styles don't see. Yeah, that's really good. Um, what's something about sevens more more in depth that would surprise those of us around? You want a happy surprise or a sad surprise? Oh, um, we can do one of each. If yeah, you do want. one of each. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll start with sad to get the pain out of the way. Good. Um, <laughs> that's a good good plan. Yeah, I would say most people have a hard time seeing how lonely and scared sevens are. Again, they're life of the party people, mm -hmm. and so they almost always have someone around them. They're generally well thought of, at least on a superficial level, because mm -hmm. they're just fun to be around. Or mm -hmm. I think most sevens, I certainly carry around a, a deep fear of I'm not really cared for. People like what I bring to the table, but they don't really like me. And if I let people in, then they'll see what, what's really cooking in me, and then I'll really be alone. You know, I think a lot of times sevens carry the, the false reputation of being unable to talk about hard things. But in in my experience, so my my son, I don't know, man, this stuff is like baked in at birth or something because, you know, for as long as I can remember, he's just had very clear seven tendencies. And what I've noticed is I, if I sit down, I'm like, hey, let's just let me just dive in with his big, deep question. He ain't going there. He's yeah. going to, you know, make fart sounds or, you know, goof off <laughs> yeah. or, you know. Your son's 22. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Yeah. JK. Yeah. Uh, but what I've noticed is this, if I go out with my son and we have a shared experience together, so we go out and we go on a hike or we go out and, you know, we ride bikes and then I ask a more kind of tender question, he'll totally go there with me. 
but it's important for him it seems to have that ex- that shared experience first and then that's like the invitation into like the deeper terrain and sevens have no hard don't have a hard time like going mountain biking or something like that it's like this is fun and exciting and i might die but they're not thinking like oh this will help me slow my mind down focus my energy so that i can be more present in in this real moment so yeah i think that because it totally does it brings them back from the mazes in their minds right yeah and some sevens get energy in their bodies. All sevens I know have energy in their minds. So they're constantly spinning. They've got the monkey mind, you know, where you sit down to pray, you pray for your meal, and then you're like, oh man, I wish I was having peanut butter and jelly. How many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches did I eat when I was a kid? Man, when I was a kid, I used to go down water slides all the time. I've been swimming in a long time. Why wow. don't I go swimming? Gosh, what about chlorine? Should I have a chlorine pool or a saltwater pool? How would I even get a pool? Maybe I should get a new, and it's just like, it flies, man, all the time. And so they they need to be real intentional about figuring out, you know, what's it look like for me to slow that down so that I can be grounded in a more present moment and, and present with other people too yeah. and totally miss what's happening. It is true though that you. when, you know, when I look at somebody's set of scores, uh, you know, their Enneagram scores and I see their non-resourceful seven, you know, it's not, it doesn't determine it. But one of the questions that I do ask is, is I'm curious about, you know, is it possible this person has ADD? Because in the scores, the non-resourceful seven tends to be where that ADD is going to show itself. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. The, the higher the non-resourceful seven score is, the more I get curious around what does hiding look like for this person? Yeah. Either how yeah. are you hiding or what are you hiding? Yeah. Because um, most sevens find a way to get that the pressure off and without a lot of work. Um, I mean, sevens are real prone to addiction and most of the pressure release valves tend not to be healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, can can we talk about the journey that you've been on physically for the last what twelve months? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, if you, if we must. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a it's it's a huge deal. I mean, so over the last is it twelve months? Um, not quite. About nine months. Yeah. Over the last nine months, you've you've lost about how much weight? One hundred and thirty-five pounds. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of weight. In nine yeah. months. Yeah, that's like a quick... Yeah. So I gained weight like a seven, which means I got into a high pressure, high anxiety environment and uh, ate my pain, among other things, and gained about 160 pounds. And then when it's like, when it's time to go, it's time to go. And so started plowing through it. Um, yeah. And that, you know, I was, the last couple of years have been really difficult and... I went up and spent some time with a therapist and he said, hey, tomorrow I want you to go out and spend as much time as you need, you know, at least four or five hours out in the woods or something. And I want you to write down all the ways that you either try to avoid pain or that you self-medicate your pain. Wow. And I was like, okay. And this, like I'd done probably five or six years of, you know, like real therapy before then. And I stopped writing when I got to about 32. And when I saw all of the ways that it wasn't just food, but consumables, you know, were, were a way out for me. That was, I was kind of like, okay, I got to do something about this. And his big conclusion was, okay, now I want you to one, have a really boring year. Don't start anything, no new ideas, no new initiatives, commit to have a boring year. And then I want you to pay attention to how you do this. Just catch yourself doing it and tell somebody you trust. And, uh, all the stuff I'd been paying attention to, it it just came clear. It's like, this is lying to me. You know, like all of my 
thoughts of if I had more or if I could just do if, you know, if one scoop of ice cream is good, three would be even better. And you could do three flavors. And then if you finish that with a good coffee drink or, you know, all of these ways, I was like, it's just lying to me. It's brought me here and um, this is going to kill me. It's killing me already because of all the shame and fear that I carried. But it's also actually going to kill me. And then I don't know what it is about sevens, but when switches flip, they go all in. And um, yeah, and so about two days later, I started a weight loss program, and here we are. Like yeah. that, it's it's that's challenging, and there's temptations around the corner. And yeah. how has this impacted your relationship with God? Yeah, that's a great question. So like a program, I felt like allowed me to start paying attention. So what is this? What is this really about? And I started noticing things like on hard days or heavy days, oh, then all of a sudden I'm really thinking about Chinese buffets, for instance. I did a sermon on Chinese buffets a couple of weeks ago. As a pastor, like if you're seven and you want to be a pastor, you you must learn to become acquainted with pain or you will be a bad pastor. I mean, there's just so much pain in human life. And so for me, feeling like life's out of control and nobody cares about me and I'm just here for everybody else, well, at least I can do something that will be just for me. And you look mm-hmm. at a Chinese buffet and it's like, oh, man, I want to do this to feel a little bit of in control and like somebody cares about me. Mm-hmm. And you look at that and it's like, you know, I've been doing contemplative disciplines long enough to know like, oh, that's a lie. And so that forces you to say, OK, what would it look like to have a more experiential relationship with God to see, OK, he's going to care for me. He's going to provide for me. He has my back and that needs to become real for me not just a confession, you know, not just a theological truth that I rehearse. Not putting your functional faith in other things uh, while confessing yeah. faith in God. Yeah. yeah. And so it's kind of like the natural rhythms of repentance. You see something that's lying to you and you turn to God. And in the presence of God asking things like, why am I so scared? What am I really so scared about? Would you reveal to me what's going on? Or David prayed, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Show me the hard things that I don't need or that I don't want to see and lead me beside still waters. And that's really tough for sevens. Boredom is terrifying. You know, some people would maybe really love the idea of a bored year. I started crying when my therapist said, you have to have a boring year. Mm. Yeah, um, a whole year, not like a boring week. Like Yeah, he said a whole year. Yeah. Because, yeah, it had been a pretty rough few years before that. And what he said is like, if you give yourself space, trauma will work itself out. Your Mm -hmm. body will start processing this and you have to have the space to be able to sit with it, let it show up in your body or else you'll be dealing with this for the next 10, 15 years. So I feel like it's given me, it's weird, like it's filled me with hope, losing weight in the sense of, you know, it's, it's shameful. And when you're standing on a stage telling people that you can change all the while in the back of your mind, you're like, but they can see that I don't. Um, Mm -hmm. there was some real like shame and embarrassment with that. But I think on a deeper level, you know, anyone who's struggled with their weight, it's something they think about all the time, whether they admit it or not. And it feels like such a besetting sin. And to see change happen there, like, man, what else could change? And seeing that, oh my gosh, God doesn't love me more now that I'm not as heavy as I was. And he's shown me what it looks like that he cares for me and revealing deep, painful things And that when you see something deep and painful and you mourn that loss and you sit with it, that your head doesn't suddenly explode or you're vulnerable and weak with somebody close to you and they don't set you on fire and say, never talk to me again. You know, experientially learning that my father really does have cattle on a thousand hills and more so he really does love me and he cares for me. 
uh, and it's created space for some of that deeper healing to happen. And that's so good. So good. Um, well, when we come back, we're going to leave behind some of this, uh, this sad the heaviness. For, yeah. yeah, the heaviness. <laughs> we're going to have some fun together. If we got a seven in our studio, let's, let's actually, uh, let's enjoy him. Let's what? use him to our own enjoyment. Here it goes. No, no, so, uh, and I'll dance. <laughs> no. So we'll be back in just a moment. On today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring Type 7, the enthusiast. And due to their desire to numb pain, sevens are the personality type most prone to becoming addicts. If you want to explore the topic of addiction, head over to our other show, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Be sure to check out episode number 12, where the gospel meets addiction. I went to elaborate lengths. I was angry. I was afraid. It's the primary relationship. And then I would like storm out of the house. She just felt like she was losing her son, you know. He was changed big time, yeah. So subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And right now, your worst nightmare. Okay, so Jonah, this is how your worst nightmare works. Sam. Don't tell me how my nightmare works. <laughs> so Sam has four cards. Uh, we're going to play three rounds. In each round, there are four cards. Sam is going to read off these cards to you. And then you're going to put them in the order in which you are afraid of them. Mm. One being the most afraid, all the way down to four, which is you are the least afraid of this thing. Mm. Uh, You're going to write those things down. At the same time, I am going to also rank the order in which I believe that you are afraid of those things. Mm. So for every time that I get it correct, in other words, I put it in its right ranking, uh, we get a point. Uh, if we get all four correct, then we get five points. And of course, if I get none correct, then it shows that I've got a lot of homework to do. All right. Round one. Let's do it. Your options are one, being stranded in the desert. Two, funeral homes. Three, short battery life. Or four, cubicles. <laughs> Dude, does your, does your blood pressure pressure just rise as soon as you start hearing all this stuff? Uh, they all sound awful, like in their own way. No. Um, yeah. Is it an easy, he said an easy no, ranking? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's thinking. I don't want to give away any of my answers. I don't oh, want to be, okay, I don't okay, want to be called a, a teacher okay, uh, or a cheater, rather. I can think about this. Let's see. We'll see how we do. How do you okay. want to do this? Okay, so you so you go. What and am then, I most I afraid of? Yeah, so start with number one. Do I need to give any explanation? Yeah, yeah, and a you can say, bit, yeah, yeah. Then okay. please do. Number one? Yeah. The cubicle. Oh! Uh, that was not really? right. I was debating. Yeah, because listen, man, a cubicle, you're sitting in this tiny, less than a horse stall every day. And if you're in a cubicle, you're doing something awful. That's true. It, I mean, it's not a good time when awful. the horse has a better arrangement than you Right. Do. And I'm saying I cannot do the same task 8,000 times a day. Like that just sounds like pull my hair out, eyes bleeding. No, thank you. No, thank you. Okay, next one. Number two. Um, I put battery life. Interesting. Oh, man. I didn't yeah. get that either. Because... 
your phone is a constant source of distraction. And it's like, why could we could be uh, in pain here or I could go check. I don't know. Yeah, as soon as this becomes Cincinnati socially awkward, I need to be able to look at my phone. Yeah. And if I don't have my phone, then I actually that does. I feel like those two are the most frequently things that could cause anxiety. Cubicle, you could have a job where that could it's be limited. It's the boredom and the monotony. Yeah, of, interesting. Uh, yeah, and yeah, battery life occurs more frequently than, than yeah, maybe others. Yeah. So, all right, okay. number three. Number three, I put the desert. Oh my gosh. Because with the desert, I'm like, you're gonna you're gonna die there, but it, at least you get to see one of the most amazing things in the world while you're doing it. You know what I mean? Silver yeah. lining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Can you imagine looking out and all you see is shimmering desert? What if you had a hallucination? You know? Well, what if you saw a mirage? I think about that and Elvis I immediately go, this is it. That's the end. That I would just lay down and yeah, be like, but well. But think yeah. of all the other worse ways you could go than I, like being surrounded by one of the I do not want to think about the world. those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. True. So last okay, one. Okay. Last one. Last one. Put funeral home. I'm not really scared of a funeral home. Okay, so here's what I ranked you as. I thought you would have said stranded in the desert yeah, uh, because, you know, death. And then uh, two, <laughs> well, then I put cubicle. Just one more thing. With the desert, you're going to die a lot faster. A cubicle, that's a slow death to me. It's a torture. That's a slow, yeah. torture, drawn out death. Dude, our apologies to sorry all. Sorry to the accountants Sorry, out there. all Humana employees. I'm sorry. You're just, I'm just not wired like you. Yeah, all call center employees. Those jobs are very, very important, and they're needed to function in the wonderful world that we have. Well, all right, okay, okay. <laughs> next one, next one, next one. Um, so we got okay. no points on that one? No, no I bombed. Man. I'm so sorry. Okay, man. This is a, maybe a potential redemption story yeah, for round so. two. Yeah, come back, kid. Um, number one, taxes. Oof. Number two, commitment. Number three, doing the dishes. Gee, Christmas. Number four, I don't know why you put this one in here, Jesse. I just would like to state on record that these were Jesse's selections, but seeing your parents naked is number four. Oh my gosh. You <laughs> hey, realize what a losing situation hey, I'm in right happen. now? Things happen. You didn't mean for them to happen, but it's things like, happen. Why bother here? My wife or my parents? Well, you know the answer to that one. <laughs> your, your parents are probably used to taking a bludgeoning occasionally, you know? You don't want to do that to your poor wife. Okay. Oh boy, you're putting in me a real tight spot here, man. <laughs> yeah, I these know. Are, Part yeah. of me just kind of wants to go... One, 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 one. Yeah, seriously. These are all terrifying and terrible. Okay, 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 okay. okay. I selected. Okay. All right, Jonah. Oh, let's see if I can get any. Number one. Number one, I put taxes. Yeah! That was the sound of victory. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I believe in private property. Yeah. Uh, okay. Or at least the Bible teaches private property. To all right. Do with I, that I, what you will. Oh, my gosh. I, I did not get that one. Uh, two, I put parents naked. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to see it but I kind of hope it's happening. You know what I mean? Oh. Like everybody wants their parents to be in a healthy situation. Number three. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Number three, I put commitment. Less with my wife, whom I love, and more with things like houses and I just mm. staying still is yeah. difficult. And four, I put yeah. dishes. Who's really scared of dishes? You know? It's the monotony. It takes 15 think, minutes. Yeah. Do the dishes. You know, in right? retrospect, I don't know why I ordered things the way that I did. Because <laughs> yeah. I said, I, I, I put commitment as number one. You know, again, yeah. not talking about your lovely wife, but, yeah. you know, just in general. And then I thought taxes. Yeah. And then I thought dishes. And then I thought parents take. I don't know why I thought I'm this leaving. guy doesn't have any problem seeing his parents take it, but please don't make him it do the possible. dishes. <laughs> it, <laughs> Maybe it was just be. like frequency that it could have come up. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah okay, so we are at zero. Cool. Zero points. All right. Okay. For all the, the Eubanks. Oh, for all gosh. the marbles, round three, uh, number one, math. Number two, Please solid make, make sounds every time. Solitary confinement. <laughs> Number three, overlooked 
email inboxes overloaded overloaded email inboxes oh, overloaded yeah email inboxes and number four again jesse's suggestions not mine but colonoscopies oh things things happen you know we in my family we call those uh the jungle cruise like <laughs> disney world because now they have these cameras now and like the urologist or whatever proctologist like i want a tour of that stuff <laughs> we're turning on the right here you know that ride at disney world i totally know that ride yeah and they're like oh if you look on the left we'll see the african pole up here or whatever and like, oh no oh, that's terrible i know it's ridiculous it bothers me all right jesse you ready you need to be ready of all of the ones this alone has been the easiest one okay see what i did there yeah i got see it. what i did there i got it uh, but I, in my defense i'd already selected that so okay please work out for me all no, right number one solitary confinement boom Yay. one of the worst things we can do to human beings yeah number two is math i love math but i don't it's just too hard hmm did Boom. You, did you get Math. that one number right? Number two. Wow, okay. Yep. Uh, number three, I put a colonoscopy. Yes. And number four, overloaded email box. Boom. Because here's why. Listen, I'm going to give everybody a tip here. This is the maximum productivity tip for you guys who get lots of emails. If you hold down the Apple button right next to the space bar and then you hit A, it'll highlight all your emails. And then if you just hit delete, they're all gone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm never emailing you again. Yeah. Okay, so we ask every guest that comes on the show five final questions. Oh, boy. And so, uh, so here we go. All right, what actor would play you in a movie? What actor? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. I would like that. I would love his hair. Yeah. All right. Uh, number two, if we had a phone that could call your 21-year-old self, what would you say to them? I would say trust yourself. Stop running. It's going to be okay. Question three, how can friends and loved ones affirm someone with your personality type? I would say uh, sevens need a lot of encouragement uh, and affirmation. And if they if they make a risk of vulnerability to receive that well mm -hmm. and um, yeah, affirm the gifts that you see in them. And then if you're really close to them, help them slow down in their pain. Uh, don't, don't let them, don't let them run from it too soon. Uh, help them learn how to pay attention to what, uh, one time Richard Rohr wrote, uh, what is, is the teacher, you know, so whatever is going on, there's something that God is teaching us in that and good friends can help sevens slow down and, and sit in that longer. Number four, how does the good news of God's presence with you heal your deadly sin of gluttony? Yeah, it, um, it's a tangible, physical awareness that I have everything that I need. It's fascinating. In Luke 12, Jesus says, I know you guys are worried. It's so interesting. He doesn't say, don't worry because there's nothing to worry about. Don't be scared because there's nothing fearful out there. Uh, he says, hey, look at the birds. Look at the field. Look at the flowers. God cares for them. And how much more does he care about you? And that's an invitation into slowness and into paying attention. And I think in that place, uh, sevens, they can experience the real presence of God that lets you know you have enough. You are enough. Um, you're not lacking. And he'll take care of you. That's really good. Yeah. Question five, if you can, we, you just kind of answered it. What scripture verse do you hold dear as it relates to your personality type? 
Yeah, that's a good one. I think another one, you know, in Ephesians 1, where everyone likes to go to argue about predestination, we, we kind of miss the really important stuff on it. In the front end of it, it says, in love, before the world ever began, he chose you. So before we get to predestination, it starts with love. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that, it says, he chose you to be adopted into his family because it made him happy. It pleased him to do so. And so I think that combination of knowing that it's not some like cold sovereign plan that God worked out my salvation. It made him happy that he want, he wanted me in my family. Sevens tend to have a hard time feeling overlooked or like they're not heard. And that verse is like, no, God looked right at you. And he said that he was happy to have you in his family. And that combined with, and he's also presently right now taking care of you. That, that story in Luke 12 have meant a lot to me. Well, Jonah, thank you for being with us today. And um, we know a lot Thanks of folks are me. really going to benefit from just you sharing your own story and so much of just your own life with, with folks today. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So thank you today to our guest, Jonah Sage. If you'd like to hear some of Jonah's sermons, uh, you can either head over to SojournChurch.com or if you go on iTunes, do a search for Sojourn New Albany, where you can find their podcast feed. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained all three of us here in this room together in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their amazing retreats, visit CrosspointMinistry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson. Engineering and editing by Janelle Dawkins with Justice Smith. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm